Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. A couple days ago, we were sharing in our team leaders meeting how one person shared that for the last six months or so, they've been dropping hints about wanting a puppy. But then that person isn't in the room, so I can't look at them. But then, yes, one person, uh, one person has been sharing for like the last six months, they've been dropping hints at their spouse that they want a puppy. Just one person in the church for every, for the last six months. And, And dropping hint after hint after hint that they want a puppy. I don't know who this person is, but this person wants a puppy. They have a dog, yes, but they want a puppy. And they've been dropping hints for the last six months to get a puppy. And so we're now praying for her to get a puppy or him. You know, we'll say it's a girl or guy. You know, in just a moment, we're going to be reading a very famous story. Uh, It's probably one that you guys have all heard of or or are very familiar with. And the thing that I want us to, to pick up in this passage is what God is dropping down. In this passage, we're going to see that God is dropping hints of what he wants for Christmas, okay? It's a bit far-fetched, yes. What does God want for Christmas? It's like saying, hey, Jeff Bezos, you know, Amazon changed my life. I love it. Two-day shipping, prime now, one-day shipping, overnight shipping. What can I get you, Jeff? A little ridiculous, I admit, but in our passage today, God is dropping hints on what he wants for Christmas. So we have it on the overhead. Matthew 13, 1 through 9, and then we'll jump down to verse 18 to 23. Please give your attention to the reading of God's holy word. Matthew 13 reads this. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered around him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And while the whole crowd stood on the beach, he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground, where they had, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, And the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil, and it produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has an ear, let him hear. And if you drop down to verse 18, this is Jesus' explanation of the parable. He says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for the one sown on good soil, 
This is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Amen. Pray with me. Father, we are so thankful for your word, and we're so thankful for this parable. We're thankful that you, throughout all history, have sustained it and kept it for us to read and to know what your heart's desire is. I pray, Holy Spirit, to stir our hearts to faith and to love and to trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The parable of the farmer, um, the parable of the farmer, God, goes out and plants the word of his kingdom into the hearts of his people so that they would reap 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. That right there is God's desire. This is what God wants. He goes out and he plants the seed in order to reap a harvest. This is what God is trying to do. This is what God wants. Right here is God's desire for us in black and white. He wants to take our lives and make them abundantly fruitful, beyond what we can imagine, and beyond what we could ever hope for, or dream what was possible. 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. This doesn't simply mean it's one times 30, one times 60, one times 100. This is one time, doubling one 30 times, 60 times, 100 times. For example, if you start off with a dollar at the first of the month, and you double it for 30 days, you end up at the end of the month with about $536 million. If you double one every day for 30 days, $536 million. If you do it for two months, if you go to Vegas, put a dollar down at the craps table and, and shoot 7-Eleven 60 times, you know how much that is? That is $536 quintillion. I had to look it up because I didn't know. That means quintillion means 18 zeros. Daniel knows. He's a math major. He's like, yeah, that's true. I did it. 536 quintillion dollars. Now, if you multiply it by 100, if you, you, know, you get a hot streak and you double down and you shoot the crabs for 100 times and you hit 100 out of 100, that would be 536 nonillion dollars. Nonillion dollars. I don't know what the right pronunciation is. Daniel could correct me later. But that is 536 followed by 30 zeros. 30 zeros. It's an unimaginable return. It's unfathomable harvest is what is going on. And this is God's desire for the lives of the people. All throughout scripture, God has been dropping hints on what he wants to accomplish in and through the lives of his people. How he wants to take them and multiply them. How he wants to transform them. How he wants to, to renew them, revive them. How he wants to create a new heart and a new life in and through them that we can never in a bajillion years imagine was possible. That is what God wants to do. And the tension that we have this morning is that what God wants to do, this is his desire on the one hand. He wants to multiply our lives. He wants to reap an abundant harvest in and through our lives. But on the other side, there's the inability to produce fruit. On one hand, we see God's willingness to produce a great harvest, 
And on the other side, there's the inability for him to produce this fruit through certain types of soil. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't misunderstand me or the generosity of God. God is generous. The same opportunity to reap a great harvest went out to everyone. It went out to the one on the rocks. It went out to the one on the thorns. It went out to the one on the path. And it went out to the good soil. God planted generously and without prejudice, trying to produce fruit through each and every life, regardless of their disposition, regardless of where they came from, regardless of the background. This was the generosity of God in the hearts of his people. And so we see the greatness of God and his willingness to do something unimaginable. But the truth still remains. God was only willing or able to produce a gigantic harvest through the good soil. He didn't produce a gigantic harvest through the soil, the path. He didn't produce a gigantic harvest through the rocks or through the thorns. Rather, he was only able to produce this gigantic so- this harvest through the good soil, teaching us that what we can get God for Christmas. And what I'm placing before us today is this. What God wants for Christmas this year is a heart that he can produce 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. That's what God wants for Christmas. He wants to take our lives and produce 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. And that's what we can get God for Christmas. So the first gift we can give God is a heart that believes. Okay, a heart that believes. Verse 19 says this. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Now, the word that was planted on the path was planted in the heart of the person. It wasn't just thrown on the top. It wasn't just thrown by the side. But rather, verse 19 says, it was planted in the heart of the person. Yet the reason why God could not produce a gigantic harvest was simply because they didn't understand it. Now, time out for a second here, right? The phrase did not understand it. This has nothing to do with intelligence, wisdom, maturity, or experience. You know, sometimes we don't understand something simply because we don't have the intellectual capacity to understand it. Basic math, foundations math, I'm great. You know, adding, subtraction, division, no problem. But the higher up, like the theorems and the formulas and all that stuff, I'm lost. I don't have the intellectual capacity to grasp it. Sometimes we don't understand things simply because we don't have the experience or the maturity for it. Difficulties of marriage, the ups and downs of marriage. Had no clue until I got married. No clue. And, and still, I have somewhat of a clue, but you know, if you ask my wife, I, I might still have no clue. <clears throat> Sometimes in life, we don't understand something because we lack the wisdom, the understanding, experience, or maturity. However, in our passage today, when it says that this person didn't understand it, it's talking about an unwillingness to understand it, an unwillingness to believe. For example, when God uh, struck the land of Egypt with plagues, sometimes he would send flies, okay? 
And when he sent flies, he would send flies into all of Egypt, but in his people's land, in the land of the Israelites, in the land of Goshen, there were no flies. Sometimes he would send hail and thunderstorm to the land of Egypt, but in the land of his people, nothing. Not one hail, not one drop, not one thunder. And, and so when they see this, it, it's like if we said, we prayed, and we said, you know, hey, God next Tuesday is going to send rain on all of Orange County, thunderstorms and hail. <coughs> Excuse me. I, I think I'm far enough. Do, do you want me to put a mask? <coughs> It's like if, if um, next Tuesday we prayed and we felt God saying, yeah, next Tuesday he's going to send rain and hail and thunderstorm on all of Orange County. But just in Brea, it's going to be dry. Not Fullerton, not Whittier, not La Habra, not Pomona, not Yorba Linda, but just in the small city of Brea, it's going to be dry. And, and we see that. And come Tuesday, everywhere it rains, but in Brea, sure enough, it's dry. But the person that doesn't understand it, the person that's unwilling to understand it, the person that's unwilling to believe is the person that hears it, sees it, experiences it, and still says, oh, yeah, you know, it's just, you know, they put a, a, a fake umbrella above Brea or something. Ridiculous, right? But that's what it's getting at when it says, that person did not believe. It's like if you ever read the book of John, the gospel of John through in one sitting, you know, it takes about three hours, use the Bible, audio app, speed 1.5, and it'll take about three hours. But if you do that, something very apparent smacks you in the face. Jesus healed people, and the Pharisees did not believe. Jesus did this miracle, and the Pharisees did not believe. Jesus did this miracle, and they wouldn't believe. And, and this repetition happens again and again and again and again, so much to the point that when you sit down and read it through, you wonder, why wouldn't they believe? Why wouldn't they, they believe that Jesus was God? It's not like he's doing these things way out there in the corner of like Modesto. If you're from Modesto, nothing bad about Modesto, but just like Barstow or someplace really far away. He's doing it in the city. He's doing it around his countrymen. He's doing it in the face of his people. Healing, 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 healing. And these people won't believe him. It comes to a point in John 10, 37, where Jesus says, if I'm not doing the works of my father, then don't believe me. If I'm not healing, if I'm not loving, if I'm not restoring, if I'm not renewing, if I'm not doing the work that my father does, don't believe me, is what Jesus says. But it says, but if I do them, even, even though you do not believe me, believe the works. But even if you don't believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. They kept rejecting him. They kept rejecting Jesus. It wasn't because of a lack of experience or wisdom or understanding. It was just the hardness of heart that said no and no and no. Friends, unbelief will greatly limit, if not completely destroy, what God is trying to do in and through your life. 
Unbelief will keep us from maturing. It will keep us from growing. It stands in direct conflict to the harvest that God is trying to produce in our lives. It was unbelief that caused the Israelites to wander for 40 years. It was unbelief that made Jesus, where the scripture says he could do no miracles, but only heal a couple of sick people. Friends, one of the greatest gifts that we can give to God this Christmas is a heart that believes, a heart that trusts, a heart that accepts, a heart that receives him, his word, his love, his goodness, his kindness, his mercy. D.L. Moody, this was a 19th century American evangelist. Uh, We have a picture of a very handsome man, okay, for that generation. 19th century American evangelist. You know, back then when he was a little boy, He recounts how one day he, you know, after church, he went to a park and sat on the bench. And an old man approached and sat next to him. And this is when it was okay for old people to sit sit next to strangers. And the old man said to him, the world has yet to see what God can accomplish through a heart that believes in him. The world has yet to see what God can accomplish through a heart that believes in him. And Moody said in his heart, I will be that man. And by the grace of God, this man built churches. He built Bible institutions. He built seminaries. It was said of him that when he came to preach in a town, the sale of alcohol would drop for months. That's the kind of testimony and fruitfulness this man had. And when asked about his fruitful life, all he had to say was this. I simply believed God. I simply believed. It was a childlike faith that Moody possessed that God used to accomplish 30, 60 times what was sown in his heart that one day on the park. A heart that believes is like the heart of the centurion who said to Jesus, just say the words and my servant will be healed. Just say the words. It's a heart that trusts in him, believes in his promises, and is willing to walk into the waters if Jesus calls us. It's the bumper sticker. I'm sorry, it's the meme. I was going to use bumper sticker, but nobody really knows what a bumper sticker is. It's the meme that says, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. A heart that believes, a heart that receives, a heart that accepts his word, is what we can gift God for Christmas this year. Friends, it's no different today. I genuinely believe that the world has yet to see what God can accomplish through a heart that believes in him. The second gift that we can get God is a heart that is rooted in him. Verse 20 and 21 reads this. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. The reason why the second soul could not produce the great harvest that God desired was simply because he had no root in himself. Anyone can endure for a little while. Anyone could put up with someone or something for a moment or a season. Dealing with difficulties and hardships, yes, However, the issue isn't their ability to endure, but it's their, but the source of their endurance. In other words, 
the nurturing of their endurance, the place where endurance rises from, their source, their essence. You know, when I used to work out about 20 years ago, literally like 20 years ago, I haven't lifted anything. Um, when I used to go to the gym, every now and then, if you go to the gym, you know there's those people that come in every now and then, right? They, they overlift the weights. They overstack the weights. You know they can't lift it. They know they can't lift it. Everybody in the gym knows they can't lift that. But they do it anyways, right? They're like, eh, trying to like swing it up, trying to crank it up. They're trying to squat, but then, you know, like it's so heavy that their, 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 their back isn't straight and it like it goes off to the sides. I would see that every now and then. Friends, this is what it's like for a Christian who tries to endure on their own strength, on their own abilities, on their own talents, on their own essence. It's like trying to lift 300 pounds. You know you can't do it. You know, I know I can't do it, but you still try. And it's sad. So many people are trying to live the Christian life this way, being motivated from themselves, through themselves, just trying to talk them up out of duty and, and commitment. Oh, I got to do this because I'm a Christian. I got to do this because I'm a Christian. I need to try to do this because I'm a Christian. When Psalm 92 says something completely different. Psalm 92. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. It talks about the righteous, the people of God that are flourishing and growing, who are not just surviving, but thriving and producing. And there has this joy that exudes from them. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. And you have to wonder how, why? Where does their source of strength come from? Where, what keeps them from growing and overcoming? Verse 13. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. This is a place of our strength. This is a place of our renewal. This is the place where our sustenance comes from. It comes from God. God is our source of strength. God is our source of hope. God is our source of joy. God is our source of goodness. God is our source of overcoming in the difficult times. It is God, his presence, his word in our life. And so verse 14 says, they still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. Friends, a heart that is nourished by God is the fruitful heart. A heart that is fed by God is a heart that produces 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. If we're going to give God a heart that's rooted in him, that's nourished by him, we're going to have to learn how to draw near to God, how to find our life in God, how to find our joy in God, how to find our assurance in God and in his word. Whether it's in prayer and worship and life, we're going to have to learn how to wrestle with God and find life in him. Because if we don't, if we don't find our life in him, if we don't find our joy and sustenance in him, then the troubles and the hardships of life will crush us. And it will destroy any type of fruit that God is trying to produce in our life. You know, when I encounter Christians who, who are going through genuine difficulties and struggles and hardships, and then after they share all their problems, they, they stick a Band-Aid at the back end and say, oh, you know, but God is good. And it's like, what? 
they, they're, they're so distraught, they're so angry, they're so hurt, but then at the backside, they just slap on, oh, God is good, as if we couldn't be honest with God, as if we couldn't be uh, truthful with God, as if we couldn't say, like a genuine Christian couldn't say, I'm angry, I'm upset, I'm hurt, I can't overcome this. Friends, I cringe at these encounters because I know there is something greater than a band-aid to cover our wounds. We have a healer who can restore our hearts. We have a savior who can raise up us out of the grave. We have a God that is living and with us. Not just an afterthought that one day in the future will be better, but a source of strength that can overcome any obstacle that we stand against. One of my favorite songs is by Chris Tomlin, How Can I Keep From Singing? And, and you know, I don't, I don't know, I didn't look up the history of this song, but when I read it, I, the sense I get when I sing this song is it's about someone who's gone through hardship, but then in the midst of it, they could do nothing but sing, and, and there's a source of joy and happiness that overflows his life. And I'm just going to read the lyrics for us, okay? I remember when Evan was a, did I tell you the story? When Evan was a little baby, I would be so happy just looking at his face. And, and so I would sing, and, and he would cry when I sang. And then I would stop, and then he would stop crying. And I'm like, huh. And then I'd sing again, and, and then he would start crying again, and then I'd stop. And I realized he's crying because of me. But, but I was very prideful. I did not believe that he was crying because of me. I thought my voice was at least okay. So God blessed me with a second son. Second time around, Connor was even more vicious. Even now he says, he yells at me, don't sing, and he starts swinging at me. So I'm going to read this for you guys, okay? I love you more than I love my kids, so I'm going to read this for you guys. Chris Tomlin, one of my favorite songs, it reads this. There is a... There is an endless song, echoes in my soul. I hear the music ring, and through the storms may come, I am holding on to the rock I cling. I can sing in troubled times, sing when I win. I can sing when I lose my step and fall down again. And here's the twist. I can sing because you pick me up. I can sing because you pick me up. I can sing because you're there. I can sing because you hear me, Lord, when I call to you in prayer. I can sing with my last breath. Sing for I know that I'll sing with the angels and the saints around the throne. It's a person going through hardship and difficulty and suffering. But in the midst of that, there's an overwhelming sense of joy and source of happiness because of who God is. God is his source of joy. God is his source of strength. God is the one who walks beside him and carries him because he has no strength to make it on his own. Friends, the person that is rooted in God is the person who is dependent upon God, knowing that if we don't go to him, if we don't find him, if we don't receive from him, we have nothing and we will be destitute. Have the same attitude in your heart that Jacob had when he wrestled with God. He said, I will not let you go until you bless me. I will not let you go until you restore me. I will not let you go until you revive me. 
When we pray, when we read, when we sing, when we drive, have that same attitude that we're going to draw near to God until he restores us, until he satisfies our hearts, until he renews our life, until he comforts us and surrounds us by his love and mercy and grace. As Deuteronomy 32, 47 says, this is Moses talking about the word of God. He says, they are not just idle words for you. They are your life. Friends, we always talk about the Bible, right? How we need to read the Bible, how we need to find life in the Bible. The Bible is just not our QTs or 15 minutes in the morning. Moses said that the word of God is our life. To look at it differently, he's saying apart from the word of God, you have no life. I have no life. I have no strength to move and to live and to breathe. He's saying the word of God is your life. The first gift we can give to God this Christmas is a heart that believes. The second is a heart that is rooted in him. And finally, the third gift we can give to God is a heart that prioritizes him. Verse 22 reads this. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. The final soil wasn't able to produce the fruit that God desired because it did not prioritize God. It got distracted with the busyness of life. It got misled by the deceitfulness of wealth. And in the end, it was unfruitful. I want you to notice that the heart that doesn't prioritize God doesn't fall away quickly. It grows and matures. But as it grows... It's choked out by the thorns of life, and it proves unfaithful. This should be a huge wake-up call for our generation. Both people work. We're surrounded by priorities, school, education, kids, clubs. Our life calendar is so busy. And I'm not saying that we should abandon all those things. But what is the priority of our life? That's the question that we have to look at ourselves. That's the question that we have to put in front of our face. Did you know that if you read four pages of the Bible every day, then by the end of the year, you could read through the Bible? Four pages. That's two pages front and back. Two pages front and back. If we did that every day, we could read through the Bible once every year. When you say it like that, it's shameful, is it not? If we don't read through the Bible at least once a year. You know, please don't take this the wrong way. But if we don't read through the Bible next year, we should really look at our priorities and what we prioritize and what we don't. I mean, four pa two pages a day. You could do that in the restroom. Probably not in the restroom, but you know, you could technically. <laughs> Friends, 
The third soil is the most dangerous one because it comes in direct conflict with our priorities, the things that we enjoy in life, and the things that we put first in our life. You know, I, I want to share an example. When I look at the Bible, I don't know if there's a dark part of my heart, but I always like the people that, that really mess up. And not like, not, like, not like the ones, like the particle son where he messes up and then he comes back. But my heart gravitates more to the people who mess up and they don't come back. Because it stands as a warning for me. And it's the strongest warnings that we can receive. Do you guys know Demas? Raise of hands. Demas. The guy in the Bible, Demas. Okay, one person. I didn't look on this side, though. It might be. No? Demas. Demas is one of my favorite Bible characters. Maybe not favorite, but he's one of the ones that stands and confronts me often. Demas, in the book of Colossians, Paul writes, he's called our dear friend and listed next to Luke the doctor. Paul's companion, Luke, who wrote, well, who we think that wrote for him, wrote for Apostle Paul. He's listed next to Luke and Demas, next to Apostle Paul in the missionary journey. In the book of Philemon, 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 he's listed as a fellow co-worker of Paul. This is Apostle Paul, pioneer, apostle, the great apostle, evangelist, going from city to city, planting churches, building churches, fruitful life. But in 2 Timothy 4.10, it reads this. Paul says to Timothy, For Demas, in love with the present world, had deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Friends, prioritizing God is not so much about learning to hate things, but being on guard to the things that we love. Whether it be riches, whether it be security, whether it be food, whether whatever it may be, the love that we have in our hearts that prioritize this over God took a man like Demas, listed next to Dr. Luke, listed as a co-worker of Apostle Paul, should have had one of the most fruitful lives in all of Christian history, became a deserter because he did not prioritize God in his heart. The third soil is the most dangerous one because it's so subtle in its devastation. It's not like we don't believe. It's not like we don't gather. It's not like we don't go to church. But it has to do with our priorities in life and how they will slowly cause us to become unfruitful. Friends, two weeks ago, every Friday, we, the staff members, we pray here every Friday, like Friday morning. And two weeks ago, I was praying here. And I knew I was going to speak on this passage. But I was asking God, praying, like, give me something you want to share through this with the people. And I kept praying that and praying that. And as I was praying, the sense that I got, what God wants to speak to us this morning through this passage, is this. Give me something to work with. When I prayed, 
asking God for a word through this passage, what I sensed was God speaking into my heart, not a literal voice, but the sense God was saying, give me something to work with. Don't give me a hardened heart, a heart that doesn't believe. Don't give me a heart with shallow soil. Don't give me a heart full of thorns. Rather, give him something to work with, a heart that believes, a heart that is rooted in him, a heart that prioritizes God, a heart that God wants so that he can produce 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. As the worship team comes up to lead us in prayer, in response. You know, one of the things I love to do is fix stuff around the house. And I think I love doing that because I like working with my hands, but I also don't like paying people to do it. Because (laughs) it's like something I can do, why would I pay you to do it? Even though I can't do it as good as him. And so I'm always fixing things around the house, whether it's, you know, like um, drilling a hole, you know, building stuff, cabinets, beds, taking stuff down, kitchen sink, you know, stuff like that. Don't call me for your remodel, okay? Um, But I I do it, and I love doing it, and I love fixing all these things around the house. But the thing is, I don't have any of the right tools. I'm always trying to figure out how to do it with the tools I have. And I'm always cutting my hands, chipping a nail. And eventually, I get to a point where I'm like, okay, this doesn't work. I have to, you know, watch a YouTube video, go to Home Depot, buy the right tool, and do it. It Saves me all kinds of time and energy, but it took me a while to figure that out. Friends, it is God's desire to make your life fruitful, more beyond what we could ever imagine or hope for, producing 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. And it just might be that the heart that we have And I say this with as much love and genuineness as possible. That maybe the heart we're giving and placing into God's hand is just not the heart that he can produce fruit through. Friends, what are we placing in God's hands today? What are we gifting him today? It is my hope and prayer that you will be fruitful more than what I can ever hope for, more than what I could imagine or even conceive what was possible because that is the work of God in your life. But he wants a heart through which he can work and produce this harvest. Father, we ask you and we plead with you, be merciful to us and be gracious to us. Do not let the seeds that you have planted in our heart wither away, unproductive, unfruitful. Father, be merciful to our lives. Be merciful to our weakness. Look upon our frailties and our weaknesses and be kind and generous. May we offer up a heart that is good, a heart that believes, a heart that trusts in you so that you can produce 30, 60, 100 times what was sown, so that we could be joyful in your production, being used for you and your kingdom, Father. We thank you that even now, you shock us awake. We trust 
that your mercy will not fail us. And we trust that your goodness will continue to restore us so that we may give you a heart, gift you a heart this Christmas that you can work with. Amen. As we